It was another wild weekend in the Premier League with Arsenal outlasting Liverpool to put another quality dub on the Gunners' resume and push Liverpool closer to the brink of oblivion. Also, we have a shakeup at the top of La Liga with a surging Barcelona rebounding from their Champions League setback to claim the top spot in the Spanish table. And not to be outdone by anyone, Cristiano Ronaldo notched his 700th career club goal. A mark we have never seen before. We've also got some blockbuster action to preview, and Mike is here with his gambling tips after going three for three this past weekend. Big shout out to Mike. Holla, 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 Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast. I'm joined by the only person here who doesn't think Cristiano Ronaldo is good at soccer, Stephen Pearson. Uh, correct. Not good, but he's great. Nice save there. Don't put me in a corner like that. <laughs> Early bird to the script doesn't always get the worm. And Mr. Mike himself, Michael David Terwilliger Mitzner. You getting calls from Oliver Kahn yet? They need you back in Munich? Is Nagelsmann sliding into your DM saying, save me, buddy? No. But Mueller was like, bro, where'd you go? I'm like, sorry, dude, I don't live there. Close. Is that why he didn't play this weekend? He was wandering the earth for his long-lost buddy. Where does the name Terwilliger come from? <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. Uh, the, I think it's a Simpsons reference or something. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's uh I don't know. Uh, we'll keep it. Um if you don't want to change your name, don't don't feel obligated just because of this offhanded comment, Mike. I just want you to feel comfortable with that. I already changed it. I already filed oh, the application. Okay. Well, I know a notary if it uh, doesn't stick. Um anyways, you guys hear about this Holland Pep drama? Wait, what? Uh, he said he was uh, really, really upset that Holland uh, let him down and only scored one goal against Southampton. Are you sure you're not um, just talking about me and Steve with triple captain him? <laughs> because I'm also very upset that he only scored one goal against Southampton. No, Pep in the post-game press conference, it was like people were asking him questions and he was just like, Guys, he scored a goal and he's a striker. Like he did his he did his job. What, what did you want him to do? Um, but I don't know. Is he gonna? Is Steve? What were you saying? I was gonna say the apparently last week there was a story that before the Manchester derby he had asked Holland to score them five goals, which is obviously a joke. But also the number he's choosing is so specific that it's an absurd level of confidence. Like, I think that he was fully expecting three. Dude. He should have had at least three. I mean, he was, no, I'm talking about the Manchester game, but yeah, he also could have easily had three against Southampton. That's probably going to be a theme if it isn't already. I know. Uh, yeah. Um, you're never going to get to uh 700 club goals like that. Huh? No, I think you will. Um, so Ronaldo was the first to cross the threshold into the nether realm of 700 club goals. 
it's not really the nether realm, but it's Ronaldo. So I figured, why not? Um, who are we going to see do it next? And when? Is it even a given in our lifetime, Steve? Yeah. Um, Messi is only nine away. But other than that, it's going to be a while. Um, yeah, so Messi's at 691. He'll probably be there in about 15 to 20 games. But other than that, we're probably going to wait 15, 20 years. Um, I think Holland and Mbappe have a chance, but they're both going to have to average 30 to 40 goals for 15 seasons to get close. Mm, But if Holland gets to 700, that's one blonde or for each hundred goals, right, Mikey? That's right. He called it. He called it. Well, like I said, it was another exciting, exciting weekend in the EPL. And let's take a look at the top of the table after 10 weeks of action. The top of the table is Arsenal. Nine matches played, 24 points. Second, City, nine matches played, 23 points. Third, Tottenham, 20 points with nine matches played. And look who's fourth. Chelsea. Didn't see that one coming that quickly. Manchester United, also on eight games, right behind them in fifth place at 15 points. Then we have other notables, Newcastle, Sixth, 14 points, nine games played. Brighton, eight games played, 14 points. And if you scroll down to 10th, you'll find Liverpool. A meager 10 points with eight games played. Shout out to Bournemouth in eight. (sighs) Did not see that one coming. I mean, what a difference a few weeks makes, right? It was based on what Scott Parker was saying about the squad you kind of thought they were doomed and they've been one of the better sides since parting ways with him well you know how i feel about scott parker that i do steve uh is there anything uh more efficient to improving your team standing than parting ways with scott parker if you can't say anything nice don't say anything at all Your mother raised you right. I hope she is listening. Well, Arsenal's at the top of the table. They're resilient, gritty. They're going to be tough to knock from the perch. And my God, City. Nothing they did Saturday made me feel like Steve's assertion that Pep is building the Death Star is any less accurate. But now, and Steve, hold on to your soul if you have to. I think just maybe, just maybe... It's time I get a little dark side curious and join Mr. Mike when it comes to Liverpool. Can they still make Europe? Can they still win the Champions League? I don't know. But I've bided my time long enough. I'm hitting the panic button. After reading all these uh, seven-year itch stories about the complete catastrophe that was Jurgen Klopp's seventh season in Dortmund, um, I'm kind of jumping on this bandwagon that it's over for pool. Steve, you have any interest if there's room? Yeah, I think I'm probably the last person running down the uh, platform asking the train to stop and let me get on. Um, Klopp said that the race is probably run for them. Their goal now is to make it into the Champions League. Uh, If he thinks that, then I certainly think it. Mike, how does it feel to be right about everything all the time? I... Do not see them finishing top four. I think something that was really interesting against Arsenal. Like, did you guys realize Mo Salah played in that game? I I didn't hear his name 
it was about like the 60th minute. I'm like, is he still on the pitch? I think I've called out Trent Alexander-Arnold since last year with Champions League. And he, in my opinion, he's an issue. Now, apparently he's injured. I mean, he was an issue last year, man. He was the reason they gave up the only goal. I, I agree. And he's always been a defensive liability that Klopp has been willing to basically say, you know, he's going to do more for us attacking if he's on the pitch. So, you know, it evens itself out kind of thing. Southgate knows that. Why doesn't Klopp? Well, Salah's form is very concerning because you're talking about losing their second highest goal scorer in Sadio Mane. Uh, Luis Diaz looks like he's out until at least December, potentially Mm -hmm. the new year. So you've got, you know, that new exciting person. Um, But Salah not really being a threat on the right side kind of messes up their entire flow. And he just looks devoid of confidence right now. So I I feel even stronger about my Liverpool take preseason. I mean, this is going to sound crazy. I don't even know if they make it into any European competition. Like, that's how bad they're playing. Shout out Takahiro Tamiyasu, who is probably Arsenal's third string left back. Um, Arteta putting him in and preventing Salah from cutting inside basically was a masterstroke. Agree. Like you said, um, fewest touches in the opposing box for Salah since he's been at Liverpool. Wow. 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 So he was, when I was saying he was anonymous, I mean, he was fully anonymous. I mean, by certain measures, it was his worst game in a Liverpool shirt. It's always going to be a little bit of... I give a lot of credit to Arteta and Tomiyasu. That was kind of a masterstroke. I don't want to take away from Arsenal's ability to put him in their pocket. Um, I, I, I really think that... That was obviously a focus. It's been a focus of a lot of teams, and I think that Arsenal was very effective in stopping him. That's probably the reason that the threat came from everywhere else. I didn't. I mean, you have to be the guy. If he wasn't even, you know, mobile, would be able to shoot uh, in a remarkable way. And you know, blocking off that much of the pitch um, in the way Arteta did was was brilliant. It always is a little bit of both. Um, Strong performance from Arsenal. A little disappointing from Liverpool, but um, I think this was a statement win regardless. Would you guys agree? To Joey's point, statement win. Also, rivalries, derbies, etc. And this game is the highest scoring fixture in Premier League history. So both teams are going to be up for it no matter what. So I think I'm not taking away from what Arsenal did. That was a very quality win. They did it in style. It was a super fun game. I think that... Um, Liverpool got up for that game, all of their squad except for Salah. And I will give Steve also the credit. Kieran Tierney was upset he didn't start. Tomiyasu put on a wonderful display. That's why Tierney didn't start. So, I I mean, I'm not taking away anything from Arteta. I think Arteta is top three manager in the league right now. I think there's a lot to that. I think that Liverpool very much played above where they've been playing for the season. I think that they got yes. up for the game. I was really impressed with them in a lot of factors or a lot of moments, but they made a few mistakes and Arsenal took advantage of those. And that's the difference right now. Um, Liverpool's not currently a great side, but they're still very good. And Arsenal was able to exercise some demons. You called Martinelli getting in behind too, by the way. Nice. That wasn't a unique thought. I think everybody saw that coming. I'm glad I held yeah. it. I mean, the one thing that will going reported from this match is just how well Darwin Nunez played, um, as did Diego Jota. And um, 
I thought Tiago actually looked fresh for the first time. So don't look now. Bobby Firmino, six goals and six, I think. He, Bobby Firmino also has an amazing record against Arsenal. Yes. It's uh, him and Jota are the Arsenal killers. Yeah. Yes. Great. I mean, just great game. I will also major shout out to Bakayo Saka stepping up confidence to take that penalty. Um, you know, got a lot of flack for what happened with England in uh, in the Euros. So I, I think that that was a real testament of character for him. And I, I think that that moment was very big for his career, honestly. Oh, it was a great call by Peter Drury. What noise, what poise, the broadest shoulder. I mean, oh God, it was nice. got, me, got me feeling it. <laughs> the theater of that moment, I mean, just the way the shot was framed. It, it was, was just, much. it was all <laughs> too much. Um, and it's why we love this game so much i I will say this this is something that came up about 10 years ago whenever the sky cam and everything started to exist the fact that they're finally showing penalties from direct on is something that needed to happen forever ago i kudos to whoever in the production truck finally figured that out good call yeah i mean it's the equivalent of getting the um angle correct for the pitcher throwing the batter in major league baseball like it's really 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 important that we get this the way we're getting it right now um because for the longest time we we couldn't tell people were going straight left right whatever i mean it was just uh it was bizarre that's why the hockey pens were so great just wait to the world cup when there's a shootout and they're all five rounds are shot from uh you know straight on and it's going to be a totally new experience yeah um let's talk about chelsea uh suddenly the blues are sitting fourth United's nipping on their heels, but everything about Saturday felt like a much-needed refresher for everyone involved in operations at Stamford Bridge. Potter rotated the boys. And how cool is it that our man, Kristen Pulisic, got on the score sheet? Not to mention uh, some brilliant interplay with Mason Mount. Um, Mike, what are you seeing for this new-look Chelsea side? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of Potter. I still feel bad about Chelsea yanking him away from Brighton, but Deserby looks like a fun manager as well. So I think Potter era has started in the sort of manner that I expected, where he first focused on just solidifying, getting the base, don't lose. And then with Wolves, they were able to to go for it a little bit more, and he was able to test out a few things. Unfortunately for Wolves, they're just not having a great season, um, don't really look threatening. So I think that Potter could test a little bit. And so I think Chelsea overall is looking like a more confident squad. They've got a manager that they believe in. And I think, you know, the three of us were a little skeptical of the Blues after their route by Arsenal in preseason. Now we're kind of seeing that that was more of Arsenal just being very quality and exposing some defensive frailties that I think Graham Potter is helping shore up. I think that playing Mark Cucurella at that left center back role, he does the job of five men. And so he's really key to how Potter wants to play. Um, and I think that Chelsea is going to start kicking on and, and putting in more goals now that they've got that sort of stable base. It's crazy because one of the staples of the Tuchel system is the wing backs being linchpins of everything and suddenly Graham Potter has got this Reese James Cucurella thing firing even better it's yeah I mean he was never going to change it overnight but what Potter's coming and done he's taking steps forward at each juncture and that's what you want to see yeah I like it oh totally oh yeah Pooley on the score sheet 
Chelsea and U.S. Men's National Team Twitter had an event horizon when that happened. Oh, yes, they did. And you should check it out because it was a moment of pure brilliance. But obviously great to see him getting the start and being pretty influential. He also should have scored one. Um, uh, At the beginning. I forget. Uh, Jose Sa, is that who was playing keeper for Wolves? Yeah. Insane save. Yep. So right behind Chelsea, United are nipping on their heels. And they're coming together. They rebounded nicely after a catastrophe against City. We saw Casemiro get his first start. And he looks slick. He looks slick. How about that run into the box? They could have delivered a sick, sick, sick header, Steve. I think I missed the header opportunity you were talking about. But I take, I'll, I'll trust you. Um, it was definitely exciting to see him finally get his start and showed probably both why... Eric Ten Hag has held off, but also had moments to show off why United paid so much money for him. He had the most giveaways and the most takeaways in the game and was pretty much at fault for the first goal. Uh, very much a welcome to the Premier League kind of lost the ball, which is like minimal physicality. Didn't realize how much time he had, but made up for it. Um, made a tackle in the midfield and then slid a pass through two lines to Ronaldo for his goal. And have to assume he's going to improve. He's an insanely smart player. I don't think that the time and space that he was anticipating was there, but he'll figure it out. And even so, 90% of whatever he was in Madrid is an upgrade over McTominay. Yeah. Uh, Mike, do you hear all these uh, stories about tempers flaring following the uh, city destruction and just uh, tons of infighting? Ten Hag... um, Really unhappy with his players. Uh, players blaming each other. Seems like they turned it around in a week. Mike, you've been in dressing rooms where everything did not go your way. And there are times, inevitably, because of the nature of the sport, where some other people might be at fault for at least making your life harder on your own team. Um, I'm sure you've had a lot of these dust-up moments. Steve, jump in if you have too. Um, is it really about having the best manager, the best adult in the room to preside over those moments so you can grow from them and not completely disintegrate? To be honest with you, and I'm curious Steve's thoughts here, I think the captain is more important in those situations because it's a peer and somebody who, um, you know, manager can kind of be like the principal and everyone can kind of say like, all right, well, whatever. Like, of course, the principal is going to come down on us. But when it's one of your own, That is like, guys, we, you know, stop pointing fingers. Everybody look themselves in the mirror when you go home and think about what you could have done better. Stop thinking about other people. That has so much more impact. And I think the fact that the club captain right now is somebody who's out of favor and uh, might sound mean, but maybe not as respected by the rest of the club. I think that's where that is breaking down. And I think that Ten Hag can only do so much. He didn't do a great job in terms of saying, oh, we're actually just not that good. And, you know, some of those different things that he might have seen as motivating factors, maybe it worked. But I think that um, you need to have a strong captain or just other outspoken personality who can kind of get everyone else in line. I definitely agree with that. Um, You want the person that you're having those conversations with to be up here and in addition to that it's one of the people that's on the field in the scrap with you which goes a long way Um, but Manchester United's had 
shockingly good results for the last six or seven games. Their only loss is that City match since the first two games of the season. Um, they've been pretty solid and consistent other than that. And, you know, that was surely a frustrating match to be on the field for, but they bounced back pretty well. And I know McGuire's turned into a bit of a punchline with certain people. Um, I was playing FIFA online and somebody whipped on a tackle and somebody said, you look like Harry Maguire. Um, I, I'm not joking. Um, but, you know, he's going, the butt of so many jokes. But going back to England, uh, you know, his penalty that he took in Euro, um, you know, I think he has demonstrated good leadership skills, but if he's not on the pitch, that does compromise his ability to have that type of leverage. But I don't know, whatever happened, they were uh, they were throwing um, verbal haymakers at each other, and they came out um, like a team that had just sung Kumbaya for five days. So good juju in that locker room. Yeah, I was just going to say, last touch on the, the Maguire bit is um, he's been rattled. So, you know, he, he's a different person and player than he was at Euros just based on how the criticism has just completely washed him out, and now he's on the bench. So you don't know what sort of, you know, mental, I, I feel bad for the guy. I, I don't know what sort of mental demons he's dealing with. I really do think he should seek a move away from the club to sort of regain some confidence because when you're a player who's been cast aside and you're not starting, you maybe don't have the confidence in those moments with City to say like, guys, when you look ourselves in the mirror, everyone look at him and be like, you can't even make the squad, bro. So, you know, carries a little bit less weight and you don't know what that sort of dynamic is. So I think, we're starting um, but, a dude six inches shorter than you. Yeah, uh, who's who's actually like surprisingly it's good. Really good. It's real. I remember when I saw really the first good. game line up. I'm like, what is he thinking? I don't know, man. He makes it. I work, was like, is but, that Dave? No, that's <laughs> dude, him, him and Veron are like yin and yang. It's great. Yeah, and Veron had been struggling in the prem. It's it's weird how that's kind of uh, or has out Veron just been paired with McGuire? Yeah, you never know. Dun dun dun. Well, we've been spoiled to say the absolute least uh, these past few weeks. Uh, um, we're going to sink our teeth into some matches we pegged at the beginning of the campaign as defining moments of the season, and they shall be glorious. Um, we'll start in Spain with Real Madrid taking on Barcelona. We got Xavi versus Ancelotti. We got two of the three best strikers alive, Lua against Karim Benzema. We got two of the greatest goalkeepers going head-to-head. Uh, Thibaut Courtois against Mark andre Terstegen. Which matchup are you guys the most excited to see? Steve? Obviously, good for the brand. Got to keep it with Courtois and Terstegen. Uh, Terstegen's on fire right now. Probably got Barcelona two or four points that they don't really deserve. And we've all seen what Courtois can do. So, yeah, I'll be keeping a pretty uh, close eye on the guys between the sticks, but I'm interested to see what Mike has to say about the midfields. Uh... I mean, I guess you, you oh, took what yeah. I was going to say. Pedri and Modric. I was about I mean, to say, what? I'm excited to see Pedri versus Modric. Uh, Modric. Modric how, sorry, sorry, Luca. Um, it's pronounced goat. Yeah, I mean, it's still insane to think about him playing out of his mind for Spurs however many years ago, and he's still ticking on for Madrid. But I think that uh, to see what sort of tempo and, um, you know, sort of onus each player takes on this game is what I'm fascinated about. Like I think we've talked about previously, 
Modric has such an incredible range of passing and he, he just can do it with such ease. Um, curious to see if Pedri almost tries to match that or sort of sticks to um, his sort of typical game. I actually think one of them will score and I think that that will dictate who wins this game. When Modric scores, it's usually a banger. Mm-hmm. I will never unsee the Champions League outside the box against Man U. Oh, He's, it's like uh, Neves from Wolves. It's like doesn't score a ton, but when he does. Yeah. I mean, if Pedri scores in the first 65, 70 minutes, that'd be rad. But um, I have a feeling if Modric scores, it's going to be a decider that is just galloping or a screamer. They should also be going against each other consistently. They both kind of hold that same side of the midfield. Yeah. Yeah. Should be great. Yeah. So this really is kind of the first proper matchup between these sides um, as they are currently constructed. What is each manager looking to exploit? And um, what do you think will make the difference, Mike? I think, you know, Barcelona is going to have a lion's share of the possession. So, you know, where... I think Madrid can win is, and it, it, it depends on if uh, Vinicius Jr. is healthy for this match. I think that's pretty pivotal. Um, Benzema is expected to start. So I think that it's a matter of holding up with Benzema and getting the rest of the squad up or finding some way to get behind. I think Vinicius would cause Barcelona a lot of problems. So just trying to sort of pick at, um, you know, the especially the wide areas in the back from a Madrid standpoint. For Barcelona, I think what they want to exploit is honestly a little bit of the aged legs that um, that Madrid has. Uh, I think that, you know, you've got such a youthful midfield with Barcelona that if they can sort of run circles um, you know, and, and free up Lua. I, I think that that's the most important thing. To basically drag the center backs away and give Lua space is going to be the way that Barcelona can carve them open. So really curious to see, um, you know, Gavi and Pedri and how they step up into this moment as such young players because, you know, they are playing very experienced players. They have the advantage of youth on their side, but they have the disadvantage of youth on their side. So, I'm super curious to see how that how that pans out. So, Steve, how does Ancelotti assert his tactical dominance, or how does Javi get one over on his much wiser foe? Very suggestive. Um, I th- yeah, Mike kind of hit it. We've seen Barcelona. We know what they're going to do. They stick to the plan. They're going to try and spread. Uh, Real Madrid out and take advantage of athleticism and space, but they're missing likely Jules Kounde and definitely Araujo, mm-hmm. both on their right side. So you know that's Vinny territory, tailor made for classic Vinny Junior counterattack game. Um, I definitely expect that to be the place where they try and hurt them the most, where Real Madrid tries to hurt Barcelona the most down Real Madrid's left side on the counter. Um, just thinking back, I'm obviously very excited to see this Modric Pedri thing, but they're going to be the more active, obvious midfielders. This will be one of the last times we get to see Cruz and Busquets probably. Um, they're two of the most 
fascinating and intelligent and subtle midfielders. It's the midfield of this game is going to have one of everything. It's going to be amazing. Cruise documentary is fantastic, by the way. What's that on? Uh, it's on Amazon. All right, I'm going to check that out. I like him a lot. But Joey, you pointed out this is their first real matchup in earnest between these two iterations. Um, Barcelona won last year 4-0, but it's kind of fair to say that Real Madrid had their head turned by the Champions League run combined with their infamous Listen, use of were the wearing black blacks jerseys. at home. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's an exhibition. And Barcelona had a chip on their shoulder point to prove um, going to that match, but it was a perfect storm. I agree. I think this is the first real classico of the, uh, you know, the first proper classico we've had in a while. I'm very excited. I'm very excited as well. Plus they're tied at the top of the table, both undefeated. I mean, the storylines are everywhere. It's, it really, really doesn't get more exciting than this. So, okay. We also, in our spoils for this weekend, we have City taking on Liverpool. Doesn't have the ramifications we thought it would with Poole struggling. But these are two sides who know each other quite well. Despite some new faces and departures in Manchester. And the injury bug still plaguing Liverpool. Liverpool are a rare home underdog at Anfield during the Jurgen Klopp era. Is there any chance in hell that this is the moment that things crystallize for the Liverbirds, or are they just going to get smoked? Mike, tell me now. This is City's going to embarrass Liverpool, honestly. I, I mean, like this is going to be bad for them. And, you know, it's been such a heated rivalry between Pep and Klopp. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, you saw how much Martinelli was able to get behind Liverpool's back line. And Holland is... <laughs> let's just say um, a little bit different than Martinelli, maybe a class or two above. No disrespect to Martinelli. In what way? <laughs> How long do you have? Um, no, I, I, I just think that Holland, he makes such clever runs. And I think that's part of the reason we were like, how did he not score more against Southampton for how much he was getting behind them? And I just think that his physicality, you know, he can, he can muscle up Van Dyke. I, I just don't see anybody in Liverpool's defense who's going to be able to manage him. And Cancelo played very attacking, his most attacking game this season so far for City. And Foden is just absolutely on fire. So between those players, I just I don't see how how City does not put four or five past Liverpool. And I mean this this could get honestly very ugly. So. Yeah, I I feel bad for Liverpool in this one. I, I I just don't really see a way out for them. Well, it is at home, and City's backline is yet to gel um, in the way previous iterations have. So maybe they can keep it respectable. But it's like the United six three score line. Like even six three was deceptive. It just wasn't that close. So you know maybe they get lucky. Maybe they. Uh, or maybe they don't get lucky. Maybe they play a marvelous game. Maybe Klopp pulls out all the stops. But yeah, I, Steve, is is there a is is there a common sense approach here to picking Liverpool to win this match? Ooh, hold on, I'm spinning the wheels. Um, th- so 
Diaz. What is no? Yeah, what is no is likely my answer. I'm trying to come up with something. Diaz is hurt. Trent is probably out. Yeah, and is there somebody else that's hurt? Or is it, that was everybody? And by the way, Trent being out may be a blessing in disguise. So we said earlier, Klopp has kind of given up on the title race, but they're very much in the race for Europe. And I don't think they're going to play a part in the title race, or I don't think they're in the title race, but I think they still have something to say about it. I would say if he's pragmatic, they have the level of players needed to hurt City on the break. If they try and take the game to City or do this any way that they used to, they're going to get run over. Maybe, just maybe, at home, they completely change up their way and have Bobby Firmino or Jota do something wonderful. But no, I, I'm with Mike. This just kind of feels like they're going to get run through. Well, and and so, you know, Simikas is a decent player, but he's no Andy Robertson. And last game you saw Joe Gomez deputize out right when Alexander-Arnold went out, and they were just getting run over on that side. And I think that, um, you know, Kanate, he came on late, and I think he's a little bit better at covering um, than maybe... Matip is mm-hmm. in terms of you know once that right side of defense gets run over but I mean Joe Gomez is not a right back you're talking about uh potentially Jack Grealish who we all have all agreed is okay uh now I abstain um Foden that likes to switch over there Mares had a really good game um I mean take your pick any of them against Joe Gomez uh, it's it's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah. That's about the only way I see out for them is for them to sit in, weather the storm, and have a just lightning fast break. But even that is, you know, you're kind of hanging your hat on drawing an inside straight. Well, I think too, it's, it's, it's Salah, um, you know, having some sort of a, some sort of form because Kinsella does get up. And it's it's been Ruben Diaz that has been sort of covering for him. So Salah Diaz one on one, inform Salah, I back. Mm-hmm. Depends on which one of uh, you know which version of Salah shows up. And I agree with you that that's the way that they could win is if they can um, you know get some through balls into him and have him challenging. We're going to continue to celebrate brilliance all over the pitch in an upcoming segment where we're going to give you, we've discussed strikers, we've discussed defenders, and ad nauseum, we've discussed goalkeepers. I love it. I'm not complaining. But you know, midfielders, it's time to check in. Get some Tums. Some people can't handle red meat. (laughs) We'll give you our top five midfielders alive after this. Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast. In our power rankings segment this week, we'll be giving you the top five midfielders alive right now. Steve, you want to take it away? You want me to do the honors? What you, what you, what you want? I think there will be consensus at the top. I can tell you what I have. What you got? Tied for first. We got a tie for I'm flipping we got to die for first. You can't separate for first. You can't separate these two. It's a matter of taste. It's chocolate and cheese. Uh, <laughs> Luka Modric and Kevin De Bruyne. Take your pick. Fair enough. 
I have my pick. <laughs> now, who do you got three? Number three, I have PSG's Marco Verratti. He's on fire. Box to box, carries the ball well, plays out of pressure, also can make the decisive pass. Love that. He's got it all. Um, four, I'm taking a slight risk here. I don't know if these are within the rules, but I'm assuming healthy. Um, I'll take a healthy Conte. And then five, I love Tiago. Sue me. One of my favorite players to watch of all time. I uh, I almost included um, Tiago, but um, I just I I had to be a little a little more pragmatic with my last pick. I uh, I can separate the two. I think right now, number one has got to be Kevin De Bruyne. I'll give him the slight edge over Luka Modric. So you're taking chocolate <laughs> over cheese. I'm taking the man that will deliver me a path to the promised land right now over Luka Modric, who... Oh, wait. Didn't he just win the Champions League last year over Kevin De Bruyne? Okay, we'll give it a tie. Um, number three, when he's healthy, there's nobody else I want in my midfield, and that's N'Golo Conte. Four... He's helping orchestrate the greatest show on turf that is not Manchester City. That's Italy's Marco Verratti. Plays for PSG and will not be at the World Cup, unfortunately. And fifth, this guy's just so important to a side that is so dangerous when they're clicking. I gotta include Joshua Kimmich. Kimmich is the most versatile player out there. Um, Probably him and Reese James, in my opinion. They could play any position. Yeah, I agree. And uh, honorable mention um, to Bernardo Silva, who has uh, done a lot of dirty work, done a lot of things that aren't as flashy as years past, but is just really, really keeping the wheels turning in uh, Manchester City. And um, I love Tiago too. I'm not going to see you. Mike might see you. Mike, who you got? KDB is the man. He, I mean, I know you guys both had Modric and... Uh, him tied. I, I think he's actually like quite a bit out in front. Um, I feel like if you were going to make a midfielder in a lab, it, it's it's De Bruyne. He's he's actually you know decently sizable, decently strong on the ball, um, mix of directness with um, you know sort of pragmatic playing. Never seen a player put absolutely every ball on a dime, whether it's a set piece. Uh, or a through ball. So I think he's he's just gotten better and better every single year, as has Modric somehow. So he's my number two. Um, I've got Verratti at number three. I think that he is the player that he's the glue for PSG. You know, I, I think we talked about it. PSG fans see him as their most important player, and I would agree. Uh, I'm going to go a little bold bit. Bold move, Maverick. I, I Well, here's my bold move. is Number four is Bruno Guimaraes. Wowzers. And I, real, I realize that seems a little hipster. Look at what has happened to Newcastle when he's been on the pitch. I mean, the dude's contributing goals. I, I really didn't know much about him until he joined their team last, last season. But he he runs that side. And he can make them a legitimate contender. I've been so impressed with how he plays. And he just works his socks off both sides of the ball. Really, really love watching him play. 
And number five, um, maybe a little bit premature because he's so young. Um, but Pedri, for me, is is just such a young phenom. And I just, I'm really excited for El Clasico. Uh, we talked about the the midfield matchup. It's going to just be really interesting to see um, sort of the, you know, call Modric the the master and Pedro the apprentice. I'm I'm just I'm really excited to see that matchup. Well guys, those are our top five midfielders alive. And we're largely in agreement. Um which always feels good. Always feels good. You know what feels good? When Mike goes three for three in Mitz picks, like he did last week. Holla for a dollar. Holla for a lot of dollars. For a lot of dollars. And he's gonna do it yet again this week. So, in this special edition of Mitt's Picks, because they're all special editions, I turn the microphone over to you, good sir. Please tell the kids how to make money. Kids, please do it responsibly and legally. And stay away from wine coolers. Michael, the floor is yours. All right. So, looking for a, a repeat of, of last weekend. Um Three for three on Mitt's picks was was personally happy with going ten of eleven for the weekend. Um, not all EPL, but um, you know, as with gambling, sometimes you can you can hit a nice groove here. So we're gonna keep this flowing. I think the number one bet you take here this weekend is Chelsea uh, over Aston Villa. I think that the line is a little bit generous. To be completely honest, not quite sure why they are minus one twenty five against the villains. Aston Villa just hasn't really gotten going this year. And they drew against Nottingham Forest on Monday, which I think was a great result for Forest because they just needed to you know, stop the bleeding. Um, but Villa hasn't been scoring. Danny Ings has been kind of on the periphery. It seems like he's maybe sort of, um, you know, no disrespect, but a little bit over the hill. Philippe Coutinho is not playing great. And I think Chelsea under Potter have really found their footing. So I think that's a very strong bet uh, at minus 125. Uh, similarly, I think that city minus 115 against Liverpool seems to be a misplaced, uh, line, just in my opinion, I think that, you know, we, we sort of dug into this match a little bit earlier, but the setup now, the directness of Erling Holland, I can see him getting a hat trick in this game. I can see city absolutely running away with it. So I think at minus 115, you got to take city in this one. And then for my third bet. And I had a little bit of trouble deciding which to recommend here, whether um, Crystal Palace over Leicester at plus 210 or taking them at plus one. That's a one uh, minus 155 line. Uh, it's obviously safer to take the, the one, one goal buffer. So maybe we'll lean on that one. Uh, doesn't pay out as much. Maybe Sprinkle Palace at plus 210. But Zaha's coming into form. I think overall, Palace is just a much more quality and sturdy squad. Uh, Leicester is going to be really inconsistent all season, and they've got some pretty bad problems um, at the back. And so I think that um, everybody got really high on Leicester when they they drubbed Nottingham Forest. I think that was a little bit of a one-off. I think Crystal Palace bosses this game and at least gets a point out of it. Uh, I do think they win it. But I think that the bet you take there is plus one at one uh, minus one fifty five, and that concludes this week's picks. So, guys, take these 
to the bank. Chelsea, minus 125 to beat Aston Villa. City, minus 115 to topple Liverpool and Palace. Plus 210 over Leicester, or you can get them plus one at minus 155. That's been this week's Mitz Picks. Guys, before we go, what are you watching this weekend? Mike, we'll start with you. You got the hot hand. So I almost decided uh, to include this in my Mitz Picks as well. Um, Newcastle has never, I repeat, has never beaten Manchester United at Old Trafford. Never. In the Premier League era. Never. Wow. 28 games. Wow. Um, and, and I was, I was, I was going to take United and, and say, you know, history is on their side. But like, you know, if you're Eddie Howe, you're making sure all your players know about this record. And you've got the chance to sort of overturn that. So odds there, Man United minus 105, draws plus 280, um, plus 260 for Newcastle to win. That's 10 a.m. Eastern on USA this Saturday. Um, to, I don't know if I'm going to take this one. I, I think I almost kind of want to hope for Newcastle to overturn the insane duck, especially given the fact that Newcastle has had some quality sides, especially through the 90s. They've just never been able to make it happen. So um, that's going to be a really interesting one, and I think both sides are really fun right now. So it's going to be a good game. Listen, that draw is plus 280. And what are the two rules of the Just for Kicks podcast? Rule number one, always sprinkle the draw. (laughs) Rule number two, never win the community shield. (laughs) It just doesn't work out well for you. Yeah, that's right. Community <laughs> Shield rematch this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, a little, uh, little different circumstances than when they last met. Yeah, that that's how everyone's billing the Liverpool Man City game, <laughs> the Community Shield revenge game. <laughs> well, it's some pretty strong voodoo. What are you gonna be watching this weekend, Steve? Insane lineup Sunday. Definitely gonna be some channel flipping and some multi-screen situations um the top four in the bundesliga are playing as well but i'll be watching Le classique psg hosting marseille the game's sunday at 245 biggest match in french football psg's top of league uh, right now but marseille is only three points back heading into the matchup thanks to the parisians draw at the weekend sergio ramos will be out serving a red card suspension and messi's a doubt with a calf issue um so leaving the door open for Marseille. Two best defenses in the league, so I can't guarantee any goals, but there have been eight red cards in the last seven meetings. So looking forward to a feisty match. I think this is the last game on Sunday, so it should be a little dessert. It's a little bit of trivia for the kids. I'm sure both of you guys know this, but just in case you don't, who was the only French side ever to win the Champions League? Marseille. Mike? I mean, based on the context of what we're talking about right now, I'd say Marseille, but for some reason, I want to say Lille. It is not Lille, it is Marseille. I was going to jokingly Hold say... Hold on, bonus some... points. They beat AC Milan in 1994? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that they have in their cabinet all that Paris Saint-Germain wants, which just adds adds fuel 
to an already fiery matchup. That's fun. They Milan in '93. Bummer. Yeah, and and they they played at the uh, Olympus Stadion in Munich, which I learned about when I was there. Yeah, and prevented AC from um, basically pulling away in the second place and uh, unreachable. Well, guys, check those out, and also check out our matches of the week: Liverpool City, eleven thirty Eastern Sunday. You can catch that on Telemundo. We also got Real Madrid hosting Barcelona. I think they'll be wearing white this time. Sunday, 10.15 Eastern on ESPN+. would like to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Just for Kicks podcast. Please check us out on Instagram at the Just for Kicks podcast. You can check us out on Twitter at Just for Kicks FC. You can also check out our website, JustForKicksPod.com, where you will get all of Mike's latest fantasy tips and more bonus content. And make sure to subscribe to the Just For Kicks podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Have a wonderful day, or evening, or early morning, or bake sale. (laughs) 